introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. And welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And I am back here with two of the smartest minds on, let's say, all of the internet. I'm not even going to limit these two to just, you know, Vikings Twitter. Just two of the smartest people that you can find doing things on the interwebs anywhere. Dr. Eric, my man, how you doing? How you been? Things are good, man. We finally got to see some football this week, so that's pretty cool. Uh, the Arena League football finals currently on. A uh, lot of fun there. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great great week. Great week for sports. And uh, because I have no idea who who is actually playing in the Arena League final and um, who is the favorite in, the, in this game? Uh, so the Albany Empire, I think, opened as 10 and a, or closed as 10.5-point favorites. Uh, against the Philadelphia Soul, and I believe at halftime, at the Empire up fourteen, uh, up fourteen points. So it's been kind of a fun game so far. It's just kind of cool to like when you watch this game. Like they onside kick a fair amount. They go for every single fourth down. Um, they 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 don't run the ball hardly ever. And when they do, it's sort of like this like trap play type of thing. It's really like an interesting experiment. And like if you alter, if you could like explain to NFL teams that the rules are a little bit different, how much differently they would act. It's kind of like in the CFL, because they only have three downs, they almost quarter, they quarterback sneak on almost every second and short uh, for that reason as well. So just kind of fun to like explore different part, different football games. Okay. All right. And my man, Nick, how are you doing? What you been up to? I'm good. We got a. Uh... We got a long snapper position battle. We got a we got a fullback battle heating up. So I don't think it gets more football than kicker drama, long snapper drama, fullback drama. Have have your have your mentions calmed down after uh, after last week's blasphemy that you put on the timeline about the uh, <laughs> about the defensive line? Uh, people were very upset with you, Nick. Yeah, people weren't happy, but I mean the Vikings have a very good defensive line. That's why it's as as that's why it sounds so crazy. Is but it's you know it's, we have a very talented division. It's good to weed out though, like people who don't really get football because they're the ones that think like that that Khalil Mack and Anthony Barr play the same position it is really sort of it, it's a nice weeding out process. <laughs> Yeah, the the yeah we that definitely went in a rabbit hole of, but they both say linebacker, and then I just had to mute the conversation and, and get back <laughs> yeah. to, get back to the the, the rest of my life because that looked like it was going to go on for a long but while. But Ben here. Gideon's a starter, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like I, in base. all honesty, Nicholas Base, Nicholas Base. You need to keep saying that over and over and over again, and eventually it'll it'll uh, it'll stick. But, um, you know, you said the football is back. There were games, and um, we are deep into the heart of confirmation bias season. It's the preseason. And so, Eric, I wanted to ask you first and foremost, because um, 
we all say we hate the preseason. Then the games start, and we just can't get enough of them. And, you know, every time a player that we like does something great, it matters more than anything in the world. And any time a player that, you know, we like does something not great, it doesn't matter because it's the preseason. Or if a player we don't like does something great, uh, it doesn't matter. It's the preseason. And so, Eric, uh, I wanted to ask you, and it, it actually was uh, from a tweet that uh, PFF uh, Austin Gale had put out talking about some of the formations the Vikings were using this year versus what the formations they were using in previous seasons. And I am just curious, does preseason matter? Is there any actionable information that we can actually take out of anything that happens in these games that would actually make us better at understanding what is going to happen when the games actually count? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think so. So, like, for example... um, you know, uh, and I think Matthew and Courtney talked about this on their show, but like sort of the receiver rotations, right? So all off season, they sort of talk about like Jordan Taylor uh, being the a possible three, uh, and and he doesn't end up getting nearly as many snaps as uh, you know Olavisi uh, Johnson did. And so like you you sort of look at these like you look at the like the patterns sometimes. So uh, I'm trying to think of like a good exa- another good example, but like if you look at the first team defenses. And, you know, sort of who's playing in the nickel, like who like that, you know, you sort of see like, OK, does this guy have a role or not? He it might say he's third string on the unofficial depth chart. But if he's playing in a sub package with the first string offense or defense, he's going to he's probably going to be a, a guy they want to make the team. Like you can like look at all those participation sort of like patterns and pick up from that. Um, I also think like, you know, you can just sort of tell when some players don't look the part. Um, uh, that, you know, and then they grade really poorly or they just struggle. Like I remember in 2015, uh, Captain Monerlin was sort of on uh, Mike Zimmer's like shit list, right? And they and they had just drafted Trey Waynes and in the first preseason game against Pittsburgh, they had, you know, uh, Rhodes out there, Newman in the slot and Waynes on the outside. And in his first game, Waynes got abused like over and over and over again, gave up like 10 catches. And it was pretty clear from that game that he was not ready to play for the Vikings probably for a year or so. And so you can pick up on those things and, and that's a, a pretty solid like uh, tell. But for me, it's mostly about like, you know, these teams don't necessarily lie that much with their first string in terms of like sub packages, who's playing that second tight end position, who's playing the fullback. And then on defense, sort of like who's in the sub packages for linebackers and defensive, you know, defensive linemen, uh, you know, when you see that first third down. All right. So with that in mind, Nick, because I, I know I saw you out there posting some things and dare I say doing a, a wee bit of film analysis on this year preseason game. So with what Eric just said in mind, what were the key nuggets that, that you started to pull out of, uh, of that Vikings game that, uh, that mattered to you in terms of uh, things that might be actionable intelligence as we move, we move into the season? The thing I was paying the most attention to was what the bare bones of the scheme look like. And it's important to note, in the preseason, you're not game planning your opponent, except maybe in week three. Uh, you're not pulling out any special trick plays. You're, you know, you're saving the good stuff for the regular season, but you're still working off the, the main playbook. So what you see in the preseason is the general scheme, the general playbook that you're running in the, in the regular season too. And because I think the biggest variable that determines whether the Vikings will be winning playoff games or will be looking from the outside into the playoffs in 2019 is whether the offensive coordinator will be, you know, somewhere between the continuum of Filippo and Pat Shermer. So 
um, I was really excited by what we saw. It was a very Gary Kubiak offense. Um, we kind of knew going in that it would be play action oriented, but they, they ran play action on, I think, 39% of, of dropbacks, which is a ton. That would have been, I mean, it's just one game, but that would have, that would have led the league last year for any team. Um, they were in heavy personnel a ton. Um, they only ran 11 personnel, maybe 40% of snaps or something. So lots of fullbacks, um, which is interesting because I thought, CJ Ham had a pretty rough night, and Kari Blasengain, who's the, the freak athlete backup, had a really good game, had a touchdown. Um, and then he was the guy who had both key blocks to spring um, Mike Boone free on that, what, 63-yard touchdown it was. So it was good seeing him having a game. And because he's a freak athlete, you know, you can kind of get your Kyle Juszczyk, um matchup weapon there too because, you know, he runs a 4-5 despite being 240 pounds or something. So that's an interesting thing to watch. Um I was paying a lot of attention to the defensive line. I thought Jalen Holmes had a good showing. Um, he racked up a lot of pressure. It wasn't anything too impressive. It wasn't like Aaron Donald three technique pressure where he's in the quarterback space in the blink of an eye. It was it was a lot of like uh, second counters, third counters. Um, but he had a good showed a good bull rush move, which we knew he had because he's got those long arms and he's got a good burst off the snap. But he also had like some nice rips, some nice dips. Um, ways of of getting around and and sort of swatting the uh, uh, offensive lineman's hands. Herc Mata'afa, I think, showed, um, you know, he's just really good at penetrating, but he also wasn't, I was kind of watching to see, um, can he be an NFL-level run defender? And I think he can. Obviously, he has issues. Um, he'll get blown off the ball a little bit, but it's not, like, so bad that he, he can't, you can't even put him out there. So I think he might have a future as maybe a starting three technique if he uh, cleans it up there. And then, obviously, you saw just how much his, his, his lower pad level and leverage and relentless motor helps. He had a, he had a sack that was just pure pure motor off kind of a, a, a bull rush. So that was interesting to see. It makes me a little encouraged that um, the, the, the hole left by Shelton Richardson might be partially filled in by some of these new guys. Um, uh, the first team offense looked great. Kirk Cousins was fantastic. He had that uh, great scramble when uh, CJ Ham missed a, missed a pass protection from some inside pressure. Um, and then you saw him throwing, throwing darts downfield uh, from the first play to his last touchdown throw. So, that was really good to see. Um, so I think a lot to be excited about. Don't want to draw too much conclusions just because it's one game, small sample size, and people aren't taking it too seriously. Um, but it was good stuff from what I saw. All right. Looky there. You hear that, fans? Good stuff from what Nick saw. Nick does like this team. He is not a Packers fan. <laughs> He's not I, a Packers fan. So the, the, the tricky thing about that is whenever I say something nice about the Vikings, like I'm a homer, and whenever I say something like bad about the Vikings, I'm like just trying to get hot takes out there for controversy. So I never understood the whole thing of like you're not actually a Vikings fan being sort of a like a, a, an insult, though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I don't know. I <laughs> fandom fandom is great and everything, but like, why would? You're a Packer fan, like I'm. Other than like a high cholesterol that that would you know come with, I'm not really sure. Like that's sort of the insult that I would throw somebody's way. You were born way. in that other state and have seen winning at some point in your life. Yeah, uh, on you know lower than expectation, but certainly winning, winning all the same. But let's let's not go too far down that rabbit hole. So. You know, those are some general things about preseason and a little bit more specific things to the Vikings. But, you know, as we're talking Vikings preseason, Vikings doing things that maybe they shouldn't be doing or things that uh, or, or positions that we just maybe don't think about or, or, or don't count until I guess they do. 
Uh, the Vikings have traded for a specialist. I guess we can't even say what specialist yet because this specialist can do everything. So the Vikings have traded what was announced as an undisclosed pick. Others have said fifth round pick for Kari Vednik. And um, the response to this has been very mixed. So some people very happy that we've gone out and traded for, I guess, who has been the best kicker in preseason over the past two seasons. Others not so happy that we traded a fifth round pick potentially for another specialist. Eric, what do the numbers say? Should we be spending draft capital on kickers and punters and long snappers, etc.? Generally not. I mean, the the thing about it is, you know, there is some value to punters above replacement, but generally speaking, you're not like I think we overestimate one how hard it is to be an average kicker in the NFL because the misses, like we remember all the misses, but we we forget all the makes and that kind of thing. So um, that that's one thing. The other thing is that historically, teams have just been so much better at getting essentially talent at the position without a great deal of an investment that using extra investment is simply just wasting it. Right. And so, um, you know, we saw it last year with Daniel Carlson. We saw it even with Blair Walsh as a sixth round pick. We saw it with Jeff Locke as a fifth round pick. Um, you know, back in the day, we saw it with Eddie Johnson, uh, was a punter in 2002 as a rookie, didn't even make it through his entire season. Uh, so, you know, the issue is, is that, Ultimately, these positions are difficult to predict. And anytime it's difficult to predict something, you need to have an investment that, that corresponds uh, to that difficulty. And, and for, you know, for a kicker, there's a fifth round pick. I mean, you know, in, unless you're willing to ride it out, which they were not with Carlson, uh, for example, um, you can't justify that sort of investment. And, and this idea that, you know, he, he kicks well in the preseason, that's awesome. Um, but we have no idea, uh, you know, past performances are not indicative of future results in most cases with kickers. And, and I think with him, he doesn't even have that many past performances. Yikes. That, uh, Nick, do you, do you have any? I mean, it's the same answer as we yeah. had last yeah. year with Carlson, right? Like we just simply don't mm-hmm. know. He's talented, but all the, and Carlson showed, he like went to, he went to Oakland and he blew up and that's great. Oakland didn't do anything for him. <sighs> So, uh, so no, yeah, probably not a smart investment. So what about the argument no. then that you'll hear very often yeah. that, okay, well, fifth rounders usually don't even make the team. So this guy, if this guy makes the team and is productive in some way, then he's better than what we would normally get at a fifth rounder. So it's a win. Why is that argument not good? Yes, but the, well, that argument's not good because the fifth round pick is viewed. So in the, in, so in the issue of like, for example, Blair Walsh, Blair Walsh, Blair, Blair Walsh was a draft pick. He ended up getting a contract extension, and they held on to him far too long. It's you know he, he cost them games in 2015 and 16 because they weren't willing to pull the plug because they had invested a lot in him for a kicker. And it's sort of the same thing with like first round draft picks uh, at the QB position. They're just hung on to a lot longer, and, and you know because of that investment, it's. It's not really a fifth round pick. When you spend a fifth round pick on a kicker, it's like you spent a second or third or fourth round pick on a different position. It, you know, historically is how they've been treated. Roberto Aguayo is sort of this other guy who is like absolutely dreadful 
and they they held on to him for far longer than they should have because it felt like a first round pick because it was a second round pick for a kicker. You sort of anchor yourself into being unable to evaluate the position very well. Okay, Nick, what are your thoughts on uh, Kari Vednik and uh, what he can bring to the team? And is it as a uh as rosy as, as the predictions uh, from a value standpoint as what Eric has laid out for us here. Yeah, I mostly agree with Eric. I think in general, uh, my biases personally are that special teams players are not worth spending draft capital on. Uh, although there's the other side of the, the capital equation here is that um, I presume this means Dan Bailey is gone just based on the fact that this guy was hyped up as a kicker mostly. I mean, he can punt and he's got a big leg for it. But I think primarily he's, his value, his trade value was seen as a kicker. And that's where the rumors you saw with other teams too. We saw Chicago was very in on this guy too. Um, so <laughs> if there's one positive to trading this guy, it means that this, this, this retains the possibility that we'll see another double doink in 2019, which, you know, that's, that's worth a fifth rounder to me. So, um, but, uh, from a cap management perspective, um, Dan Bailey, I think he has a million dollar contract. I think two hundred fifty thousand is guaranteed. But if we cut him and replace him with a undrafted free agent, this guy is, um, and he'll be an exclusive rights free agent. Basically, we'll have him for for nothing for the next three years. So um, that's nice. But um, generally, I think it's easy to overestimate the value of special teams players, especially kickers. Um, there's there's value in in having somebody who can consistently make. Uh, longer field goals is there's value in somebody who can, um, you know, in the kickoff game, that's also easy to overlook. That's somewhere I think Dan Bailey kind of struggled. Um, you don't want to open your, your return team up to big returns and the occasional kickoff return touchdown, which when that happens, that's a backbreaker. Um, but I think in general, you know, special teams players aren't worth draft capital. So. Well, and I think even in those two cases, they're actually, I mean, I think that there are some brushback on the value too if you have a kicker that can consistently kick from over 55 yards you're not going to go for fourth downs you should probably go for because your kicker has range so even then i think that the value for a kicker who can make kicks from the parking lot is a little bit overrated like with the you know ravens would you know kick field goals you know on fourth and one from the 40 when in reality they should just go for it because it's one of the best places to go for a you know and then the other thing with kickoffs now it's become a little bit different because of the the new new rule but you know kicking the ball into the end zone is actually a sucker play generally because if you if you have a kickoff guy who can kick the ball short generally speaking you can often tackle players in front of the 25 and you gain like a you know over the course of a season you can end up gaining a significant amount of expected points so even then like you know, some it's probably there's some value at the end of a game for a kicker who can just get, kick it through and have you you know start at the 25, no questions asked. But even then, like it's still, I think the value of a kicker is just really overstated in the NFL. Yeah, kickers are are fungible, and that's kind of the value in them is that you can swap them out, you can pick up your your Kai Forbath off the street and still get a good performance in. And yeah, he's not as good as Justin Tucker, but it's easy to to overthink like because when you make a field goal is three points when you miss it it's zero points but um you know the expected points added from a made field goal isn't three points it's you know you, you look at what the averages are and it's like three tenths of a point yeah exactly so um and especially with the vikings last year in week two we saw uh daniel carlson's misses led to um a missed opportunity we tied the game instead of winning 
Um, so it's, I think the front office might be overthinking it too. But, you know, if, if you land your Justin Tucker here, that's that's obviously worth it in the long okay. run. So. so hopefully we have found our Justin Tucker. I did also see someone uh, make the argument that maybe this is Rick and or the Vikings scouting staff acknowledging that they don't know how to scout this position and going to the Ravens because maybe the Ravens are good at scouting the position. I don't know. Anything to that? I yeah, I mean, the Ravens, from... the, the, the Sorry, Ravens have had... <laughs> Go ahead. I saw a report from Darren Wolfson saying um, a lot of this, a lot of these changes were um, Marwin Maloof's uh, the new special teams coaches be just saying, I want, I want a new fresh slate and I want my guys. Um, which if true, that's kind of disappointing just because I thought the guys we had were not great, but you know, perfectly fine. And that's not a, it's not a good reason when new management comes in and fires everybody else because they want their own guys. But, um, so maybe that's what, what's at play too is we got a new coach and he kind of wants to, uh, put his own print on things. Okay. Got to go get your guys. Go get your guys. Well, Eric, I'm going to bring it back around to you because Nick did jump in, recap a little bit of what he was seeing from uh, from the game. What did uh, PFF have to say about you know the performance of uh, the Vikings and the Saints, and you know what little bit can be gleaned from the first team, etc., all the way down to you know the guys at the end of the roster who are fighting for spots? Uh, who was impressive from uh, from your grading system? You know, I hate to say it, Sloter was pretty impressive. Um, you know. You know, there were, uh, you know, there were, he is the preseason goat. You, you hate, you know, you hate to see it, but it's it sort of, it, you know, you have to, you have to acknowledge it. Uh, uh, when you can, Ola B.C. Johnson graded well, Tyler Conklin and uh, Kyle Rudolph graded well. And of course, Adam Thielen, whenever you make a play uh, like he did, you're going to shoot up uh, in that small sample size. Irv Smith uh, sort of struggled with his grade. The one that was, as Nick said, you know, C.J. Ham really struggled both in, you know, pass protection uh, he had a crate of like 17 in that, so that's not good. Uh, but all, other places as well. And, and again, I think that's going to be a big position for them. And given sort of the fact that there are only so many fullback positions in the NFL, uh, he might be somebody that they easily replace. Uh, the other one that was sort of comical is Laquan Treadwell played 32 snaps and again was sort of a no-show uh, as expected. So just a really, um, you know, I kind of think of a ho-hum game. Uh, you know, Kirk was really good, you know, both with and without play action. That's good to see. It'll be interesting uh, to see what they do with that, uh, you know, once the uh, once the regular season starts. And, of course, Mike Boone had a very explosive run. I think he's a, a dark horse to sort of get some carries for this team because, uh, you know, uh, Dalvin Cook, you, you probably want to give him a big workload to sort of justify the draft pick. But ultimately, uh, you know, he he's going to need some you know some people to take some some work off of him. All right, so you brought up you, you mentioned Irv, and uh, yeah, that was one of the, the the things coming out of the game. Irv Smith did not play great, struggled, was one of the third lowest uh, graded players I think from PFF based on what I was seeing that was out there. Um, for the other earlier round draft picks, like how did Garrett Bradbury look? Did he do anything that was you know particularly good bad and uh nick i guess i'll start with you from just anything you saw in film and then bring it back around to you eric from just uh how pff graded him out well bradbury it's 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 really hard to judge offensive linemen because he was out there for one series and you're looking at the broadcast view which is very difficult to evaluate linemen from i like to usually have the the end zone angle to see what they're actually doing um he wasn't great 
um, but I didn't see anything that would, you know, give me a red flag or anything. The pass protection in general, everybody was good except for Shad Hill, who had that hold and otherwise was was not looking great. But that's, you know, he's not projected to start, so um, that's fine. Brian O'Neill just has his elbow issue. So um, Bradbury, I thought, you know, didn't really have any um, major red flags. Uh, Herb Smith didn't look good. Um, I think he's just a little raw and a little young, and he's still sort of putting things together. Um, schematically, it's interesting to see how they're using their tight ends. Um, Kubiak, um, and I guess Stefanski's offense now, um, really likes their use of tight ends and backs. And it was interesting to see two, uh, tight end screens, which is kind of, uh, uh you see that with, mm, like Andy Reid a lot, um, which is, uh, good company, although it's not sort of the triple option stuff the Chiefs do, but, um, it was it, you. You had a really explosive play from Tyler Conklin, and then you also had Conklin get open deep on a cross or on off play action. So um, it was good to see the tight ends break out. Although I think right now Conklin might be showing a little bit more, just because he's a little farther ahead and is a little f- more familiar with the position than um, Irv Smith. So we'll see. I mean, it's just one game, so don't want to read too much into it. But um, and then um, Madison, Madison, I thought looked good. He didn't have the sort of breakaway plays that Boone or some of the other backs did. Abdullah had a couple big ones, too. Um, but uh, I thought he showed um, set up his block well and uh, some good yards after contact. So um, I liked what I saw from, from him and um, the draft class overall. Uh, it was fine. Okay, and then Eric, uh, flip it over to you from your perspective and, and how things were graded out. Uh, how did the other people that we care about in the draft class uh, – look from PFF and, and, and how they were graded. Yeah. It looks like Bradbury had, you know, uh, I think he got beat on like a, a, you know, the first run play, for example, he didn't grade out so well. Um, but that's, you know, just, I mean, we were talking about nine plays or whatever. Uh, it's Josh Klein sort of same thing, a little bit better. Um, but kind of looking at, you know, I'm trying to think of like guys in the, in the, you know, draft class that played terrifically well, it's sort of, it's not a, it's not a terribly, um, you know, extensive list of, of guys who sort of had above average grades there. So I don't know. I think once we sort of get a bigger sample, once we see guys playing, you know, 50, 60 snaps, uh, things will start to like rise up here. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, we, I saw Hercules Mata off his name, you know, as I was following along, uh, you know, pop up quite a bit. That's one. I know he's not in this current draft class, um, but it would be, you know, sort of interesting to see uh, if he, you know, if he shines here a little bit. Um, Jalen Holmes graded well in the game um, because, you know, I think as Nick alluded to, I think he can be, you know, sort of a starting three tech in the same way Tom Johnson is in the if, you know, Zim and and everybody else sort of think about him as less of a, you know, okay, he's going to get, you know, bulldozed against the run, but we have Linval on the other side and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, he, he showed out a little bit. He had, you know, three total pressures, a sack hit in a hurry. So, uh, that, that, you know, that's always a good sign. I think the defensive line rotation is kind of getting solidified. I think they like their four starters in Linval, Shamar, uh, Griffin and Hunter. And then I think, um, Afadio Denebo and, um, Stephen Weatherly are kind of, uh, the edge guys right now. And, uh, Kirk Madoff, I think they see him in like the Tom Johnson role, and then Jalen Holmes, I think, has a shot to compete for the starting three tech spots. So I think those are those are your nine starters. I'd be surprised if like the final fifty-three was anything other than those guys. 
Although I will say, I like what I saw from Carter Schultz, who's kind of a, he's coming over from the AIF, I think, and it was really good there. Um, and I like what I saw from Armand Watts, too, who was a sixth rounder, I think. So Yeah, he, um, he had the third highest grade on too. the defense. Yeah. Yeah, so Eric, uh, I've didn't, I forgot to ask you this. So uh, with grades, do preseason grades matter in terms of telling us anything about what a player might be or not be when when they get into uh, the regular season? Like I don't know if PFF was was uh, was really great in games, but the the game that always pops into my mind, the player that pops into my mind when I think about uh, preseason, kind of showing you that someone was going to be a star, was Victor Cruz. Um, and what he kind of did showing out, but just as a general rule, uh, how much of what we see or, or like when someone grades really well in preseason, is that something that we can generally expect to carry forward or does it just too much noise for it to do anything for us? I mean, it's so difficult because, you know, you have to adjust for sort of the competition and we know that like competition is probably overrated as something you adjust for but in the preseason you know in the regular season it's it's certainly overrated i think defense matters less than people think for example for quarterbacks and everything like that but um in the preseason the issue is is you really have to be you know you really have to know the context is he going against first stringers is he going against second stringers and then there's sort of this this other issue which is is the is the thing he's doing physical or is it sort of tactical so, like, for example, Victor Cruz, if he's, like, you know, getting open and making acrobatic catches, I don't really care if it's against second or third stringers. But if, you know, TJ Clemens is holding up as a pass protector against third string guys, that's really not something that I think is, you know, worthwhile in terms of a data point. Or if somebody like Deshaun Bauer, you know, the one preseason where he just got like, racked up all these pressures, um, that's, like you know, that's something that, you know, you have to sort of reduce down. We have seen a little bit of evidence of grades transferring, but you have to do a ton of work to sort of take what we see here and then adjust it so that it's, you know, worthwhile. Um, it's sort of the, it's the Kyle Sloter problem. It really is the Kyle Sloter problem. Are you facing, you know, what, what happens when you face uh, first string defenses as opposed to fourth string defenses? Like it, like in in some, it's better to be good than not to be good. So, like if TJ Clemmings is giving up pressure after pressure after pressure against third string players, like that's not good. And if and like it's it's not bad that Kyle Sloter is shredding up fourth string defenses, right? Like if you watch, uh, for example, Matt Schaub try to operate the first two preseason games, uh, he's terrible, and he's operating in second and third string defenses. That's a problem. But at the same time, like you don't want to elicit a ton of false positives or in the case of Trey Waynes in 2015, you don't want to cut him if he's struggling against first string wide receivers right away. If that, you know, so it's sort of, it's a tough question and you have to do a lot of work to make sure that you get it right. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Okay. So really quickly, because again, it is still preseason and we're not to the point of preseason where we are going to be doing a bunch of game planning and, and all of that sort of thing. But uh, it seems as though we now have our, our yearly scheduled trip. Um, or a yearly scheduled game, I guess would be more accurate to say in this case, against the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Nick, let's pretend this game actually mattered. This was a, a game that counts. Tell me about how these two teams match up. Seahawks, Vikings, uh, Yeah, which way would you expect this to go if we were doing this in the regular season? Well, we did preview. I mean, we're playing the Seahawks in the, in the regular season, so 
Uh, I think we did preview, and I, I think I came out. I can't remember. I remember it being close, but because we're in Seattle, I might have gone with Seattle. Um, it's tough with Seattle because they've got a great head coach defensively, and they have a fantastic quarterback who's always given us problems. Um, and then they've also got Bobby Wagner. But, but but other than those guys, they've lost so much talent from when they were just one of the best rosters of the decade with the peak Legion of Boom and was 2013, I think. Um, so And now they've lost Earl Thomas. They've lost Frank Clark. They kind of don't have replacements for for a lot of the, the guys they've lost. So they're just, they've gone from being one of the most roster talent-rich rosters in football to one of the least talent-rich outside of, um, Russ and Bobby Wagner, who, you know, both have a case for MVP of the offense and of the defense in the league. But past those guys, they're just not a very good team. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'm sure, um, uh, what's his name? The, uh, the, the PK Moore, um, will be interesting to watch. I bet he gets a lot of snaps and we'll see how he matches up with some of our guys. Um, I kind of wanted him in the draft. So that'll be interesting to see, um, to see if, uh, oh, Metcalf? Metcalf, yeah. He's a Trey, Trey Waynes of wide receivers. <laughs> <laughs> if Trey Waynes did a couple of cycles or something, that is a large man. That is a large man. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be fun to see. But, I mean, um, I mean, the ones aren't going to get a lot of snaps um, because it's, you know, it's still preseason, still week, week two of preseason. So um, probably not worth diving too much into the, the, the mashups there. Okay. Yeah, I think you had it just basically as a toss-up, but in the season, I think we were playing at Seattle, and so, uh, so Eric was so kind as to point out that Brad Johnson was the last Viking to win at Seattle. This one's in at U.S. Bank Stadium, and it's the preseason, so you know maybe things swing back our yeah. way. Well, and I think you know the thing. The thing here is Nick's one hundred percent correct. The Seahawks were a team last season whose over under closed at seven win, seven and a half wins. And, you know, the case that I made for it to go over was that they had they still had too many stars on that team. You had Russell Wilson. You had uh, Doug Baldwin. You had Frank Clark. You had um, uh, Earl Thomas, Bobby Wagner. And of course, now Earl's gone. Frank Clark's gone. Doug Baldwin retires. Now, uh, Tyler Lockett's a really good player, but he's going to be moving into the slot and play Baldwin's position we don't know how that's going to react but they do have Matt Calf, but currently you know sort of like he's still sort of raw so the Seahawks as a whole are really going to stretch this idea okay if if you all you have is a good quarterback um their starting tight end is Ed Dixon who's like not very good at all um offensive lines getting better but still kind of a still kind of a joke you know from a talent perspective so when I look at this team I say okay how far can Russell Wilson take them? And last season, I think we saw the ceiling there. Whereas if you're going to have Brian Schottenheimer, you know, run, run, pass, punt, you know, every possession, Wilson's going to have to convert a lot of third downs. And he did a season ago. And I just don't think that that's sustainable, a la 2017 with the Eagles and Carson Wentz. Okay. I also think that division is going to be a lot harder this year. With the Cardinals getting Kyler Murray and bringing in Cl uh, Cliff Kingsbury, and um, with uh, the Rams obviously being the Rams, and then the 49ers dealt had such tough injury luck, but they're adding a lot of talent, and Jimmy G will be back healthy, so that's going to be a tough division for Seattle. All right, I like it, and if you want a deeper dive into that, you can check out uh, episode 31 of the Pocket Protectors. I'll link to it in the show notes, and you can get a 
Eric and Nick's deep dive thoughts on the Seahawks and how they think the regular season matchup are gonna, uh, is going to go. And, uh, you know, Eric, dropping knowledge about Brad Johnson and other wonderful things for you to uh, get caught <laughs> up on your Vikings history. That is it. That is all. That is all we had to cover on this uh, this here show. Before we go, Eric, Nick, anything that you guys have upcoming, anything that you've released recently that you would like to plug before we uh, we wrap things up today? On PFF.com this week, I have a couple articles coming out. One of them is going to be about how quarterback, how how influential quarterbacks are over their own pressure rates. Uh, and, you know, a lot of this was sort of spurned on by discussions we've had about Kirk Cousins and sort of, you know, how, you know, Kirk Cousins versus Case Keenum and sort of the, um, you know, the basically the, the difficulty Kirk had a season ago with a bad offensive line. And if you shore up the offensive line, does it get better for Kirk? Uh, my argument is maybe a little bit, but, uh, you know, quarterbacks generally, uh, you know, uh, own their own, uh, you know, pressure rate. So that'll be an interesting one. Uh, another article, I think, later in the week will be uh, about basically the coverage versus pass rush, sort of looking at it from another angle at the play-by-play level. What does is, what is good coverage do to force teams to throw uh later in the drop back what does pressure do to make them throw quicker in the drop back and what does that mean uh for teams so a couple of cool things i worked on you know sort of over the last few uh last few weeks so uh that'll be coming out and of course the pff forecast comes out i think thursday uh, as it does every week awesome well we will definitely be checking those out and if you're not already subscribed to the forecast you should do that uh george and, and eric bring uh bring the fun every week it's a, uh, and it's fun, it is, fun it with, is, with a little, a little a sprinkle of snark, but I, but I appreciate that. Well, and we talked fantasy last week as sort of a bit because I like built a decent amount of the fantasy stuff, and George like did the bit where he like hadn't prepared for fantasy all off season. So, and apparently a few of the things I said did not jive well with our fantasy department. So uh, I was not reprimanded. So they didn't get that the, the, the tenor of the podcast is a little bit jokey. <laughs> Much of it is tongue in cheek, but I so enjoy you, it. You hate to see it. <laughs> oh, always making friends. I love it. Eric. Always making friends. Uh, always. Nick, anything we should be on the lookout for outside of mega threats? Uh, I've been working on something in the offseason. We've talked about how defensive efficiency is generally less stable and sticky season over season uh, because so much changes. I've, I've been interested in looking into uh, if you if you hold the defensive head coach or defensive coordinator, basically the, the, the schemer um, constant, uh, does it get more stable or how do you look at that? So I've been, it, it'd be a regression analysis with dummy variables, but essentially the question would be, um, if you if you hold the the defensive mind constant, uh, can we look at defensive efficiency as being maybe slightly more predictive than we previously thought? But no guarantees. I actually um, we are expecting our second kid uh, very anytime. Yesterday was actually the due date, so baby's overdue. Congratulations! Uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. But um, if if you don't see me on Twitter or writing articles, that that might be why. The hospitals so. all have Wi-Fi, Nick. well uh all right congratulations fingers crossed and uh all right well hopefully that's what you'll have to talk about us here talk about in the uh the next little bit all all the children coming to the uh the climbing the pocket family lily and marshall erickson are having another child (laughs) 
We love, we love it, man. It. Well, uh, nothing's going to top that. So, gentlemen, as always, thanks for making time. Listeners, thank you for sticking with us. And, uh, yeah, we will talk to you soon. Have a good one. <laughs>